turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll read the last three verses. Hebrews chapter 4. To set forth the reality of Jesus Christ, a real Savior for real, real sinners, we could have taken a text anywhere in God's Word. But let's look at these three verses, especially verse 1. Hebrews 4 and 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Don't waver. Don't throw in the towel. We have a great high priest. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. He's not unfeeling. He's not stoic. He cares. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are. He was made like unto his brethren. Yet without sin, unlike his brethren. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Let's make use of this Savior. Let's come to him. If we have such a Savior that's full of grace and truth, that can be touched, that identifies with the cares and the needs and the heartaches of his people, then what should we do? Try to carry that burden ourselves? Oh, no, let's go to him. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, not that we might obtain mercy, but that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. Now, our greatest need is for the grace and the mercy that Jesus Christ alone can provide. Notice again, verse 14, how it begins. Seeing then, seeing then, in light of what has already been written concerning Jesus Christ in the previous chapters of this book, we see there, we come to understand something about our great high priest, Verse 15 tells us the high priest that we don't have. And aren't you thankful? He identifies with us. He's touched with that which touches us. Jesus Christ is touchable and he touches his people. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. Come unto me, he said, all ye that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest until your souls come to me. Verse 14 has already told us we have a great high priest right now. Let's just pause there. <laughs> Let's borrow the Selah from the Psalms that we find so often. Let's just take a time out. <laughs> Let's just pause. We have a great high priest. Not that we're going to have or we used to have. We have right now, right now, regardless of where now finds us, regardless if right now we're hurting, we're crying, we're going through turmoil, that doesn't change this. We have a great high priest. Let's go to him. <laughs> Are you like I am? When uh, I have a problem that uh, 
I'm going through something, and I think I'm the only one that's ever went through something like that. I want to share it with everybody. I want to cry on every shoulder except the mighty shoulder of my Lord and Savior. I want to tell everybody, pour out my heart to everyone except the only one that can really help me. Bear that burden and give me grace to help in time of need. We have a great high priest at this very moment. He's the same. He never changes. There's no need to change. He's perfect. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. In chapter 7 of this book, book of Hebrews, we read this in verse 24, concerning again our great high priest. But this man, this man, the God-man, unlike the earthly priest, oh, no, no, unlike them, this man, because he continued with ever, he lives forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, wherefore, because he lives forever, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for us. We have a living, reigning, ruling, real Savior right now in heaven. Our great high priest. I ran across this article, brief article by Brother Henry Mahan. I was going to use it in the bulletin today, your bulletin today, but I didn't. Perhaps another time, but I will share it with you now. Henry said, and this was his, this is uh, what he wrote about arriving at right doctrine was the title of this article. He said, a man will arrive at right doctrine through the knowledge of Christ, but it is possible, it is possible to arrive at, at for him to arrive at orthodox doctrine and yet not know Christ. I'm not saved because I come to realize the truth of five points. <laughs> I'm not saved by five points of Calvinism. I'm saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Henry went on to say the gospel is not a, not a collection of dry doctrines. No, no, no. But it's the revelation the revelation and revealing to my darkened soul when God turns the light on, it's the revelation of a living, merciful, and ever-present Lord. I like that. Right now, right now he sits on the throne of grace. The title of my message is this. Jesus Christ, no imaginary Savior. He's no aberration. He's no ghost. He's real. He's not the figment of our imagination. Oh, not, not for a child of God. Karl Marx, he was the founder of communism. And he called religion this. You may recollect this or heard this expression. It, it began with him. He called religion an opiate for the masses. It's something that the, the people reach for when they can't find anything else. Something just to help them make it through life on this earth. That's all it is. That's all it's good for. And he considered it just a, delu just a delusion. Now that may be so. What he said may be so to a degree concerning mere religion. But knowing Jesus Christ is something altogether different. Knowing Jesus Christ is more than a mere religion. Religion is one thing, but knowing whom I have believed that, now that's a different story. <laughs> that's a different tale altogether. To know Jesus Christ, 
Not to know his doctrine, oh yes, and I glory in the and rejoice in the blessed truths of his blessed gospel, but that gospel is all about his son. The old Puritan Thomas Adams said, the word of God is about God the word, about Jesus Christ himself. More than once, the disciples themselves thought Jesus Christ was just an aberration. Remember, even after he rose from the dead and appeared to them as they, would, as they were huddled together in that upper room, afraid. They've killed the master. What will they, they're coming for us next. And he appeared to them. Doors being locked, that was no barrier to him. I will come to you, he said. I won't leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Nothing can keep me out. And he appears in the midst of them and says, peace, peace be still. This is in Luke 24. And remember what their reaction was. They said, oh, my soul, they were troubled. And they said, this is a spirit. This is a ghost. This is an aberration. And Christ said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. Let me prove it to you. Give me a piece of fish. Give me that honeycomb. And he ate in the presence of them all. Here's another occasion in Matthew chapter 14. They thought when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ that he was an aberration, a ghost. Matthew 14, verse 22. You can turn there if you like. Matthew 14, verse 22. We'll begin reading there. Here's another occasion that the disciples saw the Lord Jesus Christ and thought he was a spirit. Verse 22 of Matthew 14. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples... This was after feeding the multitude. He constrained them to get into a ship and to go before him and to the other side while he sent away while he sent the multitudes away. And when he, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But, but, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, three o'clock in the morning, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. My soul, troubled, saying, it is a spirit. It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. You know, a more literal translation of what they said would be this. They said, it's an aberration. It's an aberration. It's a ghost. John Gill said this concerning that verse of scripture. They thought it was a nocturnal aberration. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, had a notion from whom the disciples might have had theirs been influenced by the same. Aberrations, ghosts. Many supposed aberrations have been merely the creatures of man's own fear and fancy, their imagination. But Jesus Christ is no ghost. Hmm? Jesus Christ is no aberration. Jesus Christ is no imaginary Savior. We just read it. Jesus Christ is a real Savior. He's a real Savior for real sinners with real grace that brings a real salvation. He is no ghost. He's not a fairy tale. As we read in Hebrews 4, he can be touched, not physically. No, not physically. But just as real 
Because after all, in chapter 11, we're given a clear definition of faith. What, did it, what is it? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I do not have to see the Lord Jesus Christ. One day I will. Now I don't. I can't see him like I see Billy Cobb sitting there, but that doesn't make him any less real to me. I see him by faith. Jesus Christ, we see him by faith. The eyes of faith, he's embraced in the arms of faith. Hmm? Just like old Simeon, that's what prepared Simeon to die. Let me die, let me face death. There's nothing else in this world I want to see. These eyes have seen your salvation and he embraced him in his arms. That was real. And faith really embraces the Son of God. It sees Jesus Christ as the one God and Savior, the only mediator between God and man. Verse 27 here in Matthew 14, but straightway, they said it's an aberration. They were full of fear. But straightway, verse 27, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. It's not a ghost. It's not an aberration. It's not a spirit. It's not the figment of your imagination. It is really me. Don't be afraid. We don't look through the storm upon the Savior and view him as though he was unreal. Only imagine while we view the storm and say, Oh, it's real. It's real. This storm is real. We see a Savior for real sin, and we rejoice in a real pardon, a pardon which has buried all of our sins, a real salvation, a salvation which sets our feet up on a rock beyond the reach of harm that cannot be moved. Yes, Bobby and I talked about this by text a little bit the other day. Yes, we lament over our sins as we should. And I suppose we'll do so until we reach the gates of heaven. Sin can never be too much lamented over or repented of, but at the same time, at the same time, I would emphasize this, at the same time we are not to so mourn over our sins as to forget that Jesus Christ died and by his death and precious blood he put away my sins. Yes, I lament over my sins, but oh, I rejoice in the cure, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, with every note of sorrow for my sins, may I let, lift up a joyful song for grace triumphant, grace that is greater than all my sins. Christ has finished my transgression. He's made an end of my sins, and he that believeth in him is not condemned, and he never will be condemned. Did you hear that? What about that, Billy Cobb? Those who are in Christ Jesus can never be taken out of Christ Jesus. God put them in. And God will never take them out. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There never will be. There never can be. Jesus Christ is no ghost. Christ is a real Savior for real sinners. Real sinners. Not pretend sinners. Not pretentious sinners. Or real sinners. They're, they're a rare breed, aren't they? A real sinner is a rare breed. You can bear witness to this. I'll ask you. You can give evidence of this, that sinners are a rare breed, hard to find. When, when was the last time you talked to one? 
When was the last time you talked to a real sinner? I mean, a sinner like that public, and our Lord spoke of in Luke 18. He knew he was the sinner. The Pharisee stood and looked down his self-righteous nose and said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not like this public and the sinner. Mm. But he didn't, he wouldn't have gotten an argument, a protest from the publican. He knew he was the sinner. He was much worse than the Pharisee thought he was. He was a sinner and he knew only the real mercy of God could send him home justified. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said, didn't he? I say unto you, I'm telling you this, concerning that publican that's the sinner, that's asked me for mercy, asked me to be propitious to him, to have mercy upon him, I'm telling you, I've given it to him. And because I have, he's going home justified. He's not going home wealthy, not going home healthy, not going home to the biggest house, but he's going home with nothing that, that something that money cannot buy. That man is going home justified. In the court of heaven, the gavel is fallen, and God Almighty declares that that man is not guilty. Now, what's that worth? What's that worth? Oh, that's what the real grace does for a real sinner. Real sinners? How about that woman in Luke chapter 7? You remember her. You remember that story. Simon, the Pharisee, invited the Lord to his house. And this woman knew that the Lord was there, and she came in, this woman. And the Pharisee, again, like the one in Luke 18, like he that looked at the publican, this Pharisee looked at this woman and said, Oh, she's a sinner. If this man was really who he claims to be, a prophet, he would know that woman that's touching him, that's washing his feet with her tears, She's a sinner. She's a sinner. He would never allow her to touch him. I would never allow her to touch me. Who let her into my house? Mm, this is embarrassing. Oh, but the Lord Jesus Christ, it was to that woman who was a sinner and not to Simon who thought he wasn't a sinner that these blessed words were spoken. The Lord said to the woman, not Simon, he didn't need the physician. He wasn't sick. Oh, but this woman, he said, Thy sins, which are many, are all forgiven. They're gone. They're gone. Only a real Savior can do that. Hmm? I had people when God got me lost, man, I was miserable. <laughs> I see this, oh, this farce that goes on in churches. You see it where people trot up the aisle, as Henry said, don't even bother to spit their gum out, and they say the sinner's prayer, and somebody slaps them on the back, and it's all just a jolly good show. Hmm? No awareness of sin, don't even know their need of salvation, and someone tells them, oh, now you've done God a favor. We're so proud of you. Oh, my soul. That's a far cry when God gets a man lost. He brings him down. He strips him. He clothes him. He convinces him that he's the sinner, and that's not fun. That's, that's not pleasant. That's tough. That's tough. But it's necessary. It's necessary. But when he speaks peace, that's real too. 
I had people tell me, my grandmother, preachers, friends, God saved you, God saved you, God saved you, you're saved, you're saved. Just accept it, just believe it. <laughs> and I'd lay down at night and God said, that's a lie. <laughs> you're not saved, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost. Oh, my soul. Every waking hour that word just screamed into my heart and conscience, lost, lost, lost. And then one day, I took my eyes off things and God by his marvelous grace brought me to bow down before the Lord Jesus Christ and cried, Lord, if you will, you, you, nobody else can. They've tried, but they can't. You can make me clean. And that's a real Savior that touched me and made me whole. The Lord told his disciples, Remember in Matthew 24, he warned them to watch out for false Christs, for imposters, for counterfeits. You remember that? He repeated himself concerning that more than he did anything else. Jesus said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, my name saying, I'm Christ, and shall deceive many. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Man, that's a serious business, isn't it? The Lord taught if it was possible, they would deceive the very elect. But thank God it's not possible. The Lord also taught that many will carry this delusion, this false hope in another Jesus, in a false Christ. They'll take it with them all the way up to the judgment. Imagine that. Again, that's some serious business, isn't it? They'll go right up to the judgment thinking they're going to hear him say, Welcome home. Glad to see you. Been expecting you. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. We hear and see that all the time, don't we? People claiming to do that. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then, then, will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I know my sheep. You're not my sheep. I never do you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. How could that happen? How could they have been so deceived, so blind? They trusted a false Christ. Hmm. They trusted, as Paul said, another Jesus. As our Lord accused Israel of doing, these things hast thou done and kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. That's not Jesus Christ. Oh, no, 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 no. Again, Psalm 115, we read this last Sunday. Their idols, unlike the true God that's in the heavens doing whatsoever he hath pleased, their idols are silver and gold. They're the work of men's hands. The work of men's hands. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. How can a so-called God that I invented help me? As water cannot rise above itself, how then a how then a God that is no more than I am do anything for me? Mm, that's an imposter. That's an imposter. The invention of man. The invention of religion. 
He's not authentic. He's not real. People that believe that other Jesus, they bought a lemon. They bought a lemon. He can't save. You've heard the story, and I probably have told it to you. I'm going to tell you again. There was a man in a village, country village. He was a carpenter, a woodworker. He lay on his bed dying, and they called for the village priest. We better go get the fighter. The fighter going to come in with his bag of tricks and mumbo-jumbo and get this man ready to slide into purgatory. And the priest came in, and he reached in his robe, and he pulled out of his bags of paraphernalia a wooden cross, and he held it before this dying man and said, Behold your God. Imagine that. And that poor man looked up at him and said, My God, my God. He said, I made that. I made that. A God that cannot save, and so it is with many today. As I said in my article in your bulletin today, let me be mistaken about anything else in my life. But please, God, don't allow me to accept a counterfeit salvation. Instead of truly knowing Jesus Christ himself by a personal experience of his mercy and grace in revealing himself to me, let me by grace believe in and trust in and embrace the same Jesus the disciples saw that day for the last time on Mount Olivet when he ascended back to heaven and the angels told him, listen, this same Jesus, this same Jesus that came into the world to do the will of his Father, this same Jesus that came to save his people from their sins, this same Jesus that cried as the mighty victor that he is, it is finished after being made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This same Jesus you see and exalted, high, and given a name above every name, this same Jesus, not that imposter that can't have his way, the mighty God and Savior, he's coming back again. He's coming back again. That's who we're looking for, this same Jesus. He's not an imaginary Savior. He alone can save to the uttermost every real sinner that comes unto God by him. Neither is there salvation in any, in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only this same Jesus that ascended back to the glory that he had with the Father before the world began is mighty to save. Only this same Jesus can keep me from falling. And keep me from falling. Remember in John's Gospel, chapter 6, our Lord had fed the multitude. And then he left, crossed the sea, and they followed him because they got hungry again. That's the only reason they followed. They wasn't interested in the bread of life, they just got hungry again. And when and the Lord Jesus Christ has always dealt honestly with their souls. He kicked that false hope out from under them. Hmm? He told them the truth about themselves. You've not really come to me, he said. Coming to me is not something you've done with your feet. You can't really come to me. He said, I'll even go so far as to tell you this. You can't come to me unless God Almighty brings you to me. Everybody that's learned of the Father comes to me. 
told them the truth about himself, about themselves, what coming to Christ really is. He said, Therefore I say unto you, that no man can come to me except it were given him by my Father. You remember the conclusion of that? You remember how that ended up? That multitude, that multitude that had followed him, crossed the ocean to follow him and find him. From that time, many of his disciples went back. Many of his so-called disciples went back and walked no more with him. And that's still happening, isn't it? I remember hearing Brother Henry again preach, and he said, if the gospel of God's grace can tear a church up, it needs tore up. Amen. It sure does. Old John Newton put it this way, when any turn from Zion's way, alas, what numbers do, Methinks I hear the Savior say, Will you forsake me too? Ah, Lord, with such a heart as mine, unless thou hold me fast, I feel I must, I shall decline, and prove like them at last. After they walked away, the Lord turned to his disciples and said, Will ye also go away? Do you want to join them? And the truth is, if Jesus Christ is not a real Savior, I'll also go away. If his grace doesn't reign over my sin, I will go away. If he that began a good work in me doesn't complete it, continue it until the day of Jesus Christ, then yes, I will go away. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I love that. Don't you? Lord, to whom shall we go? We don't want to go with them. They're going back to who knows what. But we've got nobody else to go to. To whom, not what, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for every sinner, especially this one right now that can say, Lord, I've got nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. Old Newton went on to write, Yet thou alone hast power I know to save a wretch like me. To whom or whither shall I go if I should turn from thee? What anguish has this question stirred? If I will also go, yet, Lord, relying on thy word, I answer humbly, No. No. I don't want to join them. I don't want to go that way. It's true that many do fall but not those who truly trust Christ on this earth. They're, they're as safe as the great shepherd who holds them in his hand can make them. God's covenant cannot be broken. It cannot be nullified. His purpose cannot go unfulfilled. And his power cannot be defeated. You remember what Gamaliel, Gamaliel, I think, in Acts chapter 5 when the Disciples have been called on the carpet the second time in just a couple of days for preaching the gospel of Christ. They've been threatened and beaten, but they went right back and did it again. In Acts chapter 5, the Sanhedrin, the religious powers that be, went aside from the disciples, and without them hearing it, they said, this is what we're going to do. Let's just kill them. Let's just slay them. We can just, we'll put a stop to this. And this teacher... He had a little bit of sense, Gamaliel. He said, I say unto you, refrain from these men 
and let them alone for if this counsel this counsel of it, or this work be of God it will come to naught it'll come to naught it won't amount to nothing if it's not of God but if it be of God ye cannot overthrow it Oh, bless God, he that's begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God that worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. God's grace cannot be overthrown. This is a work of God, and you cannot overthrow it. But if it's not of God, if it's a work of man, it will soon fizzle out, won't it? It will soon just fizzle out and amount to nothing like most professions do today. Just a profession. Brother Don Fortner said this, Faith understands that all who are in Christ are in him by God's work alone. Faith understands and rejoices in the fact that Christ is made of God unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Faith hear, hears God say, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And faith says, Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. I don't have a problem with that. Thank God for his reigning so sovereign grace. Thank God for his unspeakable gift for a living, filling, and always full of grace that's able to help in time of need, Savior. Thank the Lord for the, the Lord Jesus Christ that I can come to him in time of need. And that's all the time. Is there ever a time in your life that you don't stand in need of grace? Ever? Oh, no. Where could I go? Oh, where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul. Needing a friend to save me in the end. Oh, where could I go but to the Lord? Again, I repeat, Jesus Christ is a real Savior. There's no question about that. The question lies in a different direction. Are you a real sinner? Do you need a real Savior? With real grace, that brings a real salvation. Every sinner that's experienced his grace, that is, as Peter said, has tasted of the Lord that he is gracious, knows for themselves whom they have believed. They're persuaded that the Lord Jesus Christ is no figment of their imagination. He's not an aberration. He's real. Every type or every miracle Literal miracle, yes, literal, they happen. In the Gospels are but a picture, a demonstration of his saving grace. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, back to life by Christ and knew it, likewise, you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Blind Bartimaeus, when Christ touched him and said, Receive thy sight, and he knew it even so, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How about that outcast leper? When Christ reached forth and answered his plea for mercy and said, I will be thou clean, the great physician touched him and he was clean. Likewise, know ye not, listen to this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. No matter who says it's okay. 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But a real Savior with real grace, by him you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of his grace. Old John Newton, you've heard this. In his old age, he was blind. He heard someone recite the verse, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he just sat there silent. And he said, it's true. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. And I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I used to be. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let me close by reading a couple of paragraphs. This is good. I think it will help you. This is from a a sermon by old Spurgeon. It's from a message he preached from Matthew 14. We read it a moment ago. This was his text. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Here's some remarks by old Spurgeon on that verse of Scripture. We must not forget to illustrate this state of mind also by the condition of many saints when they're under trial. How often when the storms are out and our bark is filling, do we realize everything but what we should? We are like the disciples on the Galilean lake. The ship is real, oh, how the timbers creak. The sea is real, how the hungry waves leap up to destroy them. The winds are real, see how the canvas is rent to ribbons how the mass bends like a bow. Their own discomforts are real, wet to the skin with, with the spray and drenched, and cold are they all. Their dangers are real. The ship must certainly go down with all on board. Everything is real but the master walking upon the waves. <laughs> they thought he was an aberration. Yet, beloved, There was nothing so real in all the storm as the master walking upon the sea. Nothing more real than him. He went on to say, now observe how often we are in a similar condition. Our wretched circumstances, the bare cupboard, our bodily weakness, the loss of that dear child or parent, all of the distresses that await us, the dread of bankruptcy or poverty, all these are real. But that word, I am with thee, appears often in such circumstances to be a matter of belief, certainly, but not a matter of realization. And the promise all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, we dare not deny it, of course not. But we are not comforted by it to the degree we should be because we do not grip it and grasp it. The holy children in the fire knew they were in the fire, but they were safe because they knew also to an equal certainty that the Son of Man was with them in the fire, and he was no aberration. He was with them, with them. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, it is I, it is I. Larry, it is I. Don't be. 
no aberration, no imaginary Savior. I'm real, I'm true, and I'm here. I'm here. Isaiah 43 and 1, and we'll close. But now, but now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overthrow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. No ghost. I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. And thank God, he's a very present help in time of need. God bless you.